0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. So if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read a few verses here. Um, And once you find it, why don't you go ahead and stand. Matthew chapter 6. We'll begin uh, reading in verse 31. And, and as he did this this morning in Sunday school and in the morning service, sometimes, you know, you've got a long passage that you want to give context to, um, but it would take a long time to really give you the context in, in some way. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of an overview and jump in right here. Matthew chapter 6, um, you know, late last night, and before we read, late last night, and uh, late last night. <laughs> doesn't normally happen, but this, the, the Lord gave me a thought um, from this text for this service. And, and I don't normally operate that way. I'm, I'm a little bit more deliberate uh, than that. And, uh, but just So forgive me, maybe if it's not as developed as normal, but I, I really felt led to present this to the young people tonight. And I hope that you'll listen to this message, especially you graduates, but everybody sitting over in this section right here. Um, the context of Matthew 6 is about focusing on the right priorities and, and it's evident in many ways in Matthew 6, it's evident in how, how he says to pray and that you can either pray to be seen of men or you, can be, or you can pray to be seen of the Lord and if you pray to be seen of men you have your reward. He talks about fasting to be seen of men or fasting for the Lord's sake. He talks about giving and, and how you spend your money and all of these areas of our lives reveal what our priority is. Where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And, and how you pray reveals your priority. It reveals what you're looking at. It reveals your focus. And as we come down to verse 31, let's, let's begin reading there through the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. It says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? The idea is that if you're focused on your needs, you're going to be worried about your needs. But if you're focused on the Lord, he'll take care of your needs. That's the idea. Verse 32, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's our text. Verse 34, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the moral shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient under the day is the evil thereof. A lot of truth here, but I'm looking at verse 33. Let's read it together. Ready, begin. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There's a principle here I think every young person should live by, and really every person in this room Should live by but I especially want you young people to get it tonight and if you will operate by the truth that you hear tonight and it may not be packaged as neatly as I would like it to be but truth is truth and if you will operate by this principle by this truth you will end up living your life for what matters the most and that's what I want for every one of you I don't want you to get down to the end of it and you stand before Christ and realize that you gave all your time and attention and effort and energy into things that don't matter in eternity. Every, every one of every adult in this room prays that you will get this tonight so that when you stand before God, you'll think, okay, that was worth it. That's what we want. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, I humble myself tonight and I ask that you'd fill me with your spirit or needs of members in our church. Even now, God, that I ask that you, would, that you would supply for those needs and that you would help them. So I'm not even here tonight because of things going on in their lives. And we ask for prayer those special things, Lord, you know. And we pray that you bless them as they're not with us. But also then in this room, I pray that this would be a special time and that you would help every young person here to get the truth tonight. And Lord, that you'd make up for what I lack this evening. And that you'd speak through your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. You know, there are there a are few things more exciting for a little boy than getting a big, bright, shiny quarter. I remember as a, as a, as a kid, I, I, I started to value money when, when I got a quarter and realized that I could put that quarter into a machine at the front of the grocery store and get a whole handful of stale M&Ms. And I, when I realized that a quarter, and I had one in my hand, and I, I left it in my office, so I'm prepared tonight. But if somebody has a quarter, I might as well, I mean, I need money. And I mean, a $100 bill will do too. If you Oh, look at her. Thank you. Are you doing anything about that dollar bill? No. <laughs> no? Okay, can I? No, just kidding. I'm not going to use it. So, you know, there's really, uh, as a kid, didn't, uh, do you remember what a quarter looked like when you were a kid? I mean, it was, it, it was, it just about fit in your whole, the whole palm of your hand. And I, I remember when I, when I would find a quarter, I'd get a quarter. It was just, I was excited. And I, and I remember though, also that my parents, they taught me from a very early age that if I did get something like this, that I had to do what with it? I had to tithe off of it, okay? My brother's here tonight, by the way, Josh and Misty, they just drove in from the hills on vacation and they came to see us tonight, so great to have them with us here. And um, so he remembers this, our parents from an early age, and probably your parents did too, if you're raised in church, they taught you to tithe. Now, when I was a kid and my parents would say, give 10% of the quarter, I was like, okay, how am I supposed to do that? And I remember my parents telling me, well, you take, really what you need to do is take three pennies, because that's, that's at least 10%, and you need to give those. So in my mind, I'm thinking I have, to, I have to give up three little ones if I want to keep the big one. You know, and it, it didn't really make much sense, but, you know, it was, it was the principle. And when I realized it's a rule, you know, that I grudgingly gave my offering, which is the right spirit to give, I guess, <laughs> when you're a little kid. I dropped those three pennies in. Now, another lesson my parents taught me is that when you give, God will bless you in return. Anybody, parents ever tell them that? Well, I don't know that I fully understood the concept because after I gave my three pennies, then the next week I was in my sister's room and I looked on her dresser and she had a bunch of change. And I thought, well, remember, I remember that mom and dad said, if I give, that God will bring back money to me in return. So, so I happily then took the money off my sister's dresser and only to find out later that's not exactly how it works. But, but my point tonight is that from an early age, my parents taught me this, taught me this principle, God is first. Amen. Amen. And they taught me that even when, no matter how small the, the amount of money, no matter how, what it is that God gives you, that God comes first and you give to him first in return. And it's, and it's a lesson that is, is really seared into my mind from, the, from a very early age that God is first. God comes first. And as a, as a child, I embraced that. And it, was, it wasn't hard for me to put God first. I mean, it was natural for me to put God first. My, my mom and dad were in the ministry. We went to church all the time. I thought it was great. God comes first. But one thing that I've noticed is that it's, it's pretty easy to teach young people that principle. But, but when they start to get a little bit older, it gets a little bit harder. So you get to be in your teenage years... And instead of God first, then young people start thinking, well, baseball first. And instead of God first, uh, young people, young people your age, they start thinking job first. And I can't tell you how many young people I've known that in their teenage years get a job. And for their last couple years of high school, they're not involved in anything because job came first. And, and I know young people that instead of God first, when they, from the time they were young, it was God first, but when they got to be a little bit older, it became boyfriend first or girlfriend first. And I think we've all seen this play. And I, and I hope you understand. I mean, this is, I'm talking about serious material tonight um, because I, I want to challenge our young people. If you look around, they need something strong to stand on. Amen. Amen. They need to take a serious step of faith And I was reading in Jude in my Bible this week, it says, earnestly contending for the faith. And and we've got to help prepare them for these things. And, And if it comes across passionate, it's because I am passionate. And I know that it is vital that the next generation of young people, that the next generation is strong in their faith. Because they are going to face things that you and I haven't faced. And so for you young people tonight, let me ask you this. If you had a, a, a priority board, you know, if you had a list, your, in your life, you had a priority board and a list of things that matter the most, let me just ask you, where does Jesus Christ sit on that board? If you're thinking about all the things in your life and you've got friends listed and you've got um, school and you've got your job and you've got your career and you've got your future and you've got all these things listed, Jesus Christ is somewhere. Where is he on your list of priorities? Where does he fall? Is, is he somewhere in the middle? Is he near the bottom? Is, is he near the top or at the top? I would venture to say that most young people have Jesus somewhere on the list. But he, he's likely for most young people or many young people not really at the very top. And even though he should be. See here's why he deserves this, the top spot. We heard some of this this morning. At first because he created you. He made you. God, the God of heaven, created the heavens and the earth and he made everything including you his kingdom as we heard this morning stretches far and wide and he reigns over all of it including your life and your life is included under where he reigns and and he is adonai which means that that he created it all and he has authority over it all he is the lord and master and whether or not we recognize it the lord sits on the throne of the universe i i taught a lesson a a couple weeks ago and it says his total possession and my total submission He he totally possesses everything and I should therefore totally submit to him. He is Adonai and he sits on the throne of the universe and you should submit to him. You should put Jesus Christ first in your life, friends, young people, because he created you, but second, you should put him first on the very top spot of your list of priorities because he also redeemed you. First Corinthians chapter six says, "What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. That's what it says. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. If you have no other reason to put Jesus Christ at the top of your list, just remember that he created you and He redeemed you. He made you and he bought you. He, he, he wanted you enough to create you, and he loved you enough to die on a cross for your sins. If you've ever wondered whether or not He deserves the top billing in your life, then that's really all you need to know. See, God's total possession, my total submission, but let me say it a different way. Here's another way to say it, is that God has first claim in your life. God has the first claim in your life. And I, I was reading a little bit about staking a claim and and I, I know that the gold rush of eighteen forty nine in California, that's kind of where it really started and there's a gold rush in the Black Hills in the eighteen seventies and it's fascinating history to me. But I was reading about some of it and a mining claim is the right to extract minerals from from a piece of public property. And the loose laws back then gave the right to mine a piece of land to the first person that came across that piece of land and discovered mineral deposits and started mining it. The the laws developed later. They granted the claim to the person that could put the land to to beneficial use. So a person would come along and they would find a spot... And they would stake a claim by marking boundaries. And they would put either wooden posts or or steel posts. They had to be, I think, four feet tall. Or they would take a bunch of rocks or stones and they would build build a mound that was at least three feet tall. It had to be at least three feet tall for you to stake your claim on that spot. But if you were the first one there and you found the minerals that could be mined and you started mining it and you thought this is a, you're going to, produce something that's beneficial from this property if you were the first one there and you marked the boundaries that claim was yours you could stake your claim on that piece of land and 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 as i thought about that 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 phrase first claim it really does pictures god's right to first claim on our lives see he created us he bought us he wanted me enough to create me And he loved me enough to buy me. And therefore, in my life, he has first claim... Young person in your life, he owns first claim. He staked his claim the moment you were conceived, and he reminded you of the claim that he owes or that he owns in your life. That when he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for your sins and shed his blood, so when he says in verse thirty-three that we should seek first the kingdom of God and seek second his righteousness, then it's only right then for us to say, no, he he made me and he bought me. Therefore, I should give him. First claim, I should seek his kingdom and I should seek his righteousness. It is only right for me to submit to the one that has the claim to the property of my life. He got there first, he's invested the most, he loves you so much and it is only right for me to submit to him. I think about what we heard this morning about his kingdom. The kingdom refers to the things that, we have that have to do with God's spiritual work. So you say, okay, what is it that I'm supposed to seek? Well, seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God, that we should prioritize the advancement of God's kingdom. Things like the Great Commission... Things like prayer, things like spiritual growth in our lives, those should be the kinds of things that get the most passion and the most time and the most energy. The local church, by the way, is the organism through which God is seeking to accomplish his kingdom purposes. And, let me, and so there's no clearer way, young person and, and church, there is no clearer way to express God first in your life than to give yourself to the local church. This is how God's kingdom purposes are advancing. And so, friends, your schedule should be should be revolving around the church. Your your time and your focus and your desire and your energy, it should be poured into your local church. Why? Well, because God said seek his kingdom first, and his kingdom is being advanced through local churches. I think about on Saturday mornings right now that we're um, brother brother Samuel has, has is something that I had asked him to start doing and and on Saturday mornings, the young people are meeting up here at the church and, and, and they're going out in the neighborhoods and they're putting tracks in, and, and, they're, and door hangers on doors in Sioux Falls and, and they're out there doing the work of the Great Commission. And I think, boy, what, what better way to, to train this generation to give themselves to God's kingdom work than to help them to fulfill the Great Commission. That's literally what's happening. In the, last, the first Saturday, I think they had 17. And this past Saturday, they had 21 or something like that. And I'm just saying, bless God that our young people have an opportunity to come out and invite people to church. And yeah, they may, they may be too scared to really talk to them. And they may just be putting a flyer on the door and then running down the driveway to get out of sight. You know what? That's okay. Because that's a seed planted. And if we can teach them as 6th and 7th graders to be so concerned about the kingdom of God that they'll go out and they'll invite people to church, then by the time they're 10th or 11th graders, they'll be inviting people face-to-face at the door and asking them to come to church and giving them even the gospel. I mean, these are, these are the kingdom purposes of God. And, but unfortunately, when I consider how many young people spend their time and energy, it's usually not for matters of God's kingdom. They don't typically desire God's work above all else. Most young people don't give their best energy to God's kingdom. Living for God, young people living for God in your generation, you making the decision to live for God will put you in the minority. It will make you the rare exception. Most young people your age are not giving themselves to God. But but still, just because that's happening, it doesn't mean that the creator-redeemer doesn't deserve to be first. He made you and he bought you and it's only natural that he would have your best time and passion and energy that you would love him and worship him and fellowship with him and serve him first and foremost. We're also called, he says, to seek God's righteousness. And if God's kingdom work, and we'll get, I'm I'm coming up to it, so bear with me as I get here. If God's kingdom work is the external part of our life for God, the kingdom work, then God's righteousness is the internal part meaning and I love the way this happens is that it's not just about what you do for God it's about what you are for God see we don't need we don't need another generation or a generation of young people that just do things without having their heart involved in it we don't want a bunch of people that that just go through the motions and yet they're not really sincerely on board on a heart level No, we need people that are doing God's work in the kingdom, but we also need those that are seeking God's righteousness, meaning that God doesn't just, he's not just interested. And the reason that this is important is, is because if you read the new Testament, most of what Jesus Christ addressed to uh, the, in the new Testament, when he was really getting on to people about things, who was he talking to? He was talking to the Pharisees because they had all the outside, right, but they didn't have anything right on the inside. There was no. There was. They, they. They said they were working for the kingdom, but they didn't have God's righteousness. And listen, it's not just about what you do; it's about who you are for God. It's on the inside that that where all of this starts. And it really comes down to this. When I think about kingdom and I think about righteousness, I think about this. It, this is regarding who you are and what you do. And regarding who you are and regarding what you do, I'm just asking you the question tonight: Is God first? Is God first? Now, when you get out of the house and you're, you're first year of college and you start to order your own week, I'm just asking, will God be first on Sunday night at 6 o'clock? Will God be first on Wednesday nights at 7? When you get out and, and on your own and you're, you're making your own decisions, will God come first when your alarm first goes off? Because, uh, I mean, the first thing you ought to do is think about how to spend some time with the Lord. Will God come first when you decide what job to take? I I know too many young people who take take jobs, and I've already said this, they take jobs based on money. And even when they get out of the house, they take jobs based on how much money it's going to make them. And they never stop to think, well, is this going to affect my involvement in the kingdom work? Will my Sundays be affected? Will my will my time for outreach be affected? Will God come first when it comes time to how you when it comes to how you spend your time? It's easy to give the majority of our time to making money and neglecting God's kingdom. Are you seeking God first on a personal level of righteousness? I mean, is God first? Will God be first when it comes down to your relationships? Meaning, I mean, because as you get older, it's just natural. You know, it's okay. I mean, you'll start to. I mean, maybe someday some of you boys will start liking girls. You'll start to get all... Maybe you're already a shy around them. You can't talk. It gets really embarrassing and awkward. You're, you're doing it right now. Good job. Okay. <laughs> but someday, you know, you're going to start liking a girl. And that girl may start liking you, boys. Okay, never mind. Girls, someday there's going to be a boy that likes you. Will God come first? in that relationship in other words the things that your parents taught you and the way that they raised you and the way that they trained you will god come first in the way that you deal with that relationship is it going to be god first or are you going to start to formulate your own plans you're going to start to formulate your own desires and decide what's right is god first do you put christ first does he have first claim listen this is the most important message i could preach to you your relationship with God, your faith is deeply personal. That's the righteousness, but it's lived in public. That's the, 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 the advancing his kingdom. Those are your life's priorities, but most young people are seeking their kingdom first, meaning they sit on their own throne as king or queen. And most young people are establishing their own righteousness and they're deciding what's right and wrong for them. And, and, and most young people, when they get out of the house, they have, I mean, this is just this is the nature of the statistics. Most young people, when they get out of the house, they abandon what their parents have taught them and they redefine how to live their lives uh, as their own kings and queens. Most 2021 graduates right now, they're sitting on their own thrones. They're making their own rules. And you know what the average 2021 20, graduate will do this year? they'll be a claim jumper. You see, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, even though God created them, they will operate as if they were the crown, and even though God redeemed them, they're going to operate as if they are in charge. And, and I just want just, to, just to help you visualize this tonight. And we're going to say that this box represent your, represents your lives, and, and I, I found a couple flags. Now... I figured there'd be some that get excited about this flag right here, the Mexican flag here. We're going to say that this one represents God's claim on our life. Okay? No amens even about the Mexican flag? Okay, that's what I thought. (laughs) This one looked like a Texas flag. So I picked this one to be the bad flag. (laughs) I'm sorry, Brother Spencer. It's, it's, all, it's really all I can do tonight, you know, I just, it's actually the, the, the flag from Chile, okay? We'll just pretend like it's the Texas flag. So, so listen, when God created you and redeemed you, you know what he did? He, he took, he came to your life, and he looked at your life, and he stuck his flag, his, he staked his claim on your life. And when, you're, and when you're young, when you're a child, when you're um, a young person and you're being raised in church, you're like, yes, God first. But you start to get a little bit older and you start to, to have some thoughts of your own. And, and, and you start to think, no, I kind of want this to be my plan. And where God has staked his claim, where the, the property that he rightfully owns, what a lot of young people do is they pl- uproot the flag that God has planted and they instead put their own flag. Actually, I admit, did that backwards. So this is God. Remember, the Mexican flag. We're saying that that's the positive flag. The Texas flag comes in and a lot of, what a lot of young people do is they uproot the flag that God has planted and they replace it with their own. And in the areas that they used to be submissive to God, where God really rightfully owns it. They've uprooted the flag he owns, and they've replaced it with their own. And I read a story this week about squatters. Anybody know what squatters are? Squatters are the people that they'll find an empty house, and they don't have a home. But they find an empty house, and when they realize that people aren't living there, they move into that house. And, take, and they, take, they seize control of that house. And I read a story just this week in Sammamish, Washington, where a friend of mine, Matt Farinella, Matt and Alyssa Farinella, he pastors up there in Sammamish. There's a multi-million dollar house. And the owners are overseas, and every week they have people that come and check on the house a couple times a week. Well, this past, this, in the past few weeks, one of the guys that was checking on the house for him came to the home and discovered that it was full, I, I want to get these, these uh, numbers right, discovered that it was full of stuff like 12 guns, bulletproof vests, more than 15,000 fentanyl pills, heroin, meth, and more than $40,000 in cash. And he thought, oh, that seems innocent, and he locked the door and walked away. No, no. He thought, something's going on here. So he called the police. But because of squatter's laws, the police, they came to the house, and they couldn't do anything to what was happening because of squatter's laws. And so they literally lined the street by the house. The police had their hands tied. They just stood there as the people that had squatted in the house pulled a U-Haul truck up to the house, and unloaded the, loaded the guns into the U-Haul, loaded the fentanyl, the heroin, the meth, and anything else that they wanted to claim. They put into the U-Haul truck and drove away. And I, I, was, I read it again. I read the story again like, thinking, that can't be right. But the police said, our hands are tied because of squatter's laws. And so everything that they wanted to take out of the house, they were allowed to take out of the house. And they couldn't even watch what was being taken out because these people had taken over property that wasn't theirs illegally. And not that, that just, I mean, what's happening in our country? And, and yet, as crazy as that sounds to us, there are a lot of young people, a lot of, a lot of older folks too, that instead of letting God claim the property that's rightfully his, which is our lives. And in all the ways that matter the most, you know, they might even say, yeah, I let God rule my life in most areas except for that one. And in that one little area, you know, then I've gone and I've uprooted the flag that that God has put on my life and I've replaced it with my own. And really, this is a picture of how most young people live. They're claim jumpers, they're squatters, meaning they have seized control of property that doesn't belong to them, and you might give God first claim in every area of your life, but you have some friends in your life. Young person, listen. See, you may say, yeah, God is in control of every area of my life, but in this one area, you've got some friends, and those friends are off limits to God, and in every other area, yeah, you say God first, but in that one area of your friends, you have replaced God's flag with your own, and you're a claim jumper. Or in some area like your future, you know, and God, God has an idea for your future, and, and, and you say, okay, whatever it is, you know, I, I'm fine with church, and I'm fine with religion, and I'm fine with, with all of those things, but, but if it comes down to my future, no, I have some plans that I want to follow, and I have some things that I want to do. So in terms of my future, what, you, what you've done is you've come and you've uprooted the flag that God, that God planted, rightfully so, by the way, in your life, because he, bought, he created you and he bought you. And he said, you can have every area of my life, God, but you can't have my future. When it comes to what I'm going to do with my life, I'm going to stake my own claim. And, and every, young, every young person, really, and not just young people, every Every person here has areas of our lives that that we've claim jumped. And instead of letting God plant his flag or keep his flag where he rightfully belongs, we've come along and we've moved it. And we've put our own flag in its place. I think in matters of the kingdom, young person, listen, consider what first claim looks like. In matters of the kingdom in your life. I'd What does the first claim look like? Listen, does your church commitment to God, does it reflect God's claim on your life? I mean, in in five years, will your commitment to your local church, will it reflect God's claim on your life or will it reflect your own claim? When it comes to uh, your your involvement in, in outreach, I mean, talking about advancing the kingdom work. Will you, will you be in five years, will you reflect more, uh, will you reflect God's claim on your life or will you have your own claim on that area of your life? When it comes to your money and investing in, in God's work, are you gonna let God keep his claim where, it, where he rightfully deserves to keep it or will you replace it by investing your money in, re, in things that in the end, when you stand before God, they won't matter? A lot of young people do it. Talking about it maybe in areas of righteousness. Because it's about the kingdom and it's about righteousness. And in areas of righteousness, the things, you know, the things that you talk about with your friends, do they reflect God's claim on your life? The things, if we were to look at your your YouTube or your Netflix history, would what you watch, would it reflect God's claim on your life? The words you say. Um, not just verbally, but on social media or, or texting or your digital communication, do those words reflect God's cl- first claim on your life? And, and you've got to start thinking about these things because, um, you, you know, you're not just, you're, most of you aren't just little kids anymore. You're growing up. And in about six years I mean, parents just recognize this. In about six years, every one of these young people, just about, will be getting out of high school and moving on to the adult part of life. And for you, that seems like that's a lifetime, but I'm telling you, six years, it won't be long. And you'll be having to make these decisions about God's kingdom, about God's righteousness in your life. And you're gonna have to decide if you want your life to reflect your claim on your life, or if you're willing to say, you know what, whatever it takes, I want God's claim on my life to be what people see. In areas of my involvement in church, in my work in the kingdom, in my in areas of righteousness. I want God to have first claim in my life and I don't really want it to be about what I want. I want it to be about what, what he wants. And you might say, okay, but what's the motivation? I was hoping you'd ask that. You might say, well, what's the benefit to me? Well, because, well, first, remember that the person that gets first claim, he, he created you and he redeemed you. Okay, that's first. But does it go any further than that? Well, I think it does. And this is really what excited me uh, about this message tonight because in considering that part of staking a claim, there's a principle in this truth that I hadn't considered till I was meditating on it late last night. See, you see, when you, when you seek first the kingdom of God, and I want everyone to hear this. Because this is is really important. When you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It says all these things shall be added unto you. You see Matthew 6 makes it clear. That God will meet our needs. If we put him first. And you could say it like this. And this is where it gets good. This is where I got excited. If I put God first he puts my needs first. You could say it like this, God benefits me when I prioritize him. Or you could say it like this, and here's how I want you to get it, and here's what I want you to remember tonight. First claim is not about what God wants from me. It's about what God wants for me. First claim is not about what God wants from me. It's about what God wants for me. Because most young people think that letting God have his first claim means that he gets all the benefits, that he wants to take all that we have and he wants to use it for himself or one way or another and and he has these plans and we don't get to be happy and we we have to just kind of go along. No, but according to this verse, putting God first is not about what God gets from us, it's about what God wants to do for us. He wants to take care of all the peripherals. He wants to meet every one of our needs. He wants to bless us in ways we never could be blessed without his help. It's not just about what God wants from you. It's about what God wants for you. And I think about my my son. I'm just thankful he's still awake. That's a blessing. When I use him for illustrations, he's using it. I was thinking about this, trying to figure out how to how to describe this and I was thinking about the fact that when when he goes riding his bike in our neighborhood you know we have we live in this second slash third house down from the end and so if a car turns down our street there's not a lot of room for them to see what's going on you know they could turn and he could be right there riding his bike so what I've done is I've trained him that as he's riding and he does this little loop I mean, there's almost a path worn in the, in the street and on the sidewalk, because he does this circle. But I've trained him that every time he goes into the street with his bike, he looks both ways. And it's kind of funny, because he really over-exaggerates it. So he's coming to the street, and what he does is he goes... <laughs> and then he goes into the street, does the loop, and then he comes back around, and he And you know what he's done? He's bought in to what I've asked him to do. And here's why is because I'm his dad. And I have first claim in his life. And and I'm not God, I'm not saying that, but I have a lot invested in that kid. I mean, I bought the bike. And I bought the helmet. And I had something, I mean, just a little bit to do with, the, with his existence, okay? I didn't do most of the work. But he's here because I'm his dad. And he's bought into the fact that I want his life to be protected. But let's suppose that in a couple years when he's 10 or 11, and he says, this is really dumb. I'm kind of tired of it, it hurts my neck. I'm not going to look when I cross the street on my bike anymore. A couple days into that thought process, here comes a car turning onto Pentstemon Avenue and meets my son head on. And in that moment, he will realize that me taking ownership of his life was not about what I could get from him. It was what I wanted to do for him. I wanted him to live a long and happy and healthy life. I want him to be the happiest he can be. I want him to enjoy riding his bike. I want him to live a good life. And when I give him rules and I set parameters and I set boundaries and I say, no, this is your kingdom and righteousness, meaning these are the things you're responsible for. It's not so that I can just benefit and I just take all that he has to offer and I take all those things and it's just all about me. No, it's about him. It's benefiting him. And when he submits to the process that I have placed in his life, it's a benefit to him. It's not about me. It's about what I can do for him, not what I can get from him. And teenager, putting God first benefits you the most. If you want the greatest benefit, let God have first claim in your life. Let him come along. And honestly, he already has a flag planted in your life. He bought, he created you and he bought you. His flag is already there. And the only way we mess it up is if we come along, we take the flag out and we put our own flag in it. Now, I'm just going to encourage you tonight. Listen, there's a whole generation of young people that are removing God's flag out of the middle of their lives and I want to encourage you to not be one of them. Would you be one of the ones that says, "No, God has first claim in my life. I will let him decide." my future i will let him decide how much of my life i give to him i'll let him decide if i'm going to go to a year of bible college i'll just you know what i'm just going to say yes to everything and see what he does if you'll do that i'm telling you god having first claim is not just a benefit to him it's a benefit to you and you say well i'm not sure i buy it well let me give you an illustration from my favorite fast food restaurant which one is that Chick-fil-A, certainly not Taco Bell. I read this week that Chick-fil-A um, is, is far and away the most profitable fast food business in terms of sales per unit, meaning, in other words, they, their stores make the most money per restaurant than all the big fast food chains out there. And in fact, the headline that I read said that Chick fil A makes more per restaurant than McDonald's, Starbucks, and Subway. Combined. You're like, I need to sell some chicken. <laughs> That's a lucrative business. You just need Chick fil A sauce, it doesn't really matter. It could be cardboard, it just, yeah. No, here's the clincher it's closed on Sundays. So it makes the most money per restaurant, more than McDonald's and Starbucks and Subway combined, in one less day per week. And listen, I'm not saying that Chick-fil-A does everything right, but we're getting one, I'm happy, okay? (laughs) But they are closed on Sundays, you know why? Because of their faith. And whatever their doctrinal positions are, they decided to put God first. And this article tries to figure out the reason how, how is Chick-fil-A so successful? And here, let me read. I'm just reading straight to you from the article. Most people would assume that closing one day per week could hurt company profits. However, it's clear by the per unit sales numbers that something about Chick-fil-A, something about Chick-fil-A makes it more attractive than its competitors. Could it be that closing its doors one day a week actually helps Chick-fil-A make more money, not less? Here are three reasons why that might be the case. Closing creates a craving. They're so wise. It's like the old saying, you never know what you have until it's gone. And sometimes, and I know this is true, sometimes when you want Chick-fil-A on a Sunday and you can't have it, it only makes you more likely to get it on Monday. And I'm telling you, when, you, when we finally get a Chick-fil-A, every Sunday night, you're gonna like, hey, hey, let's go to Chick-fil-A, oh, never mind. <laughs> closed on Sundays. They're so wise. That's number two, here's another reason. It, it maybe it, closing on Sundays helps attract better employees. When S. Truett Cathy founded Chick-fil-A, he wanted employees who would stick around for the long haul. According to a piece in the Washington Post, Kathy used to tell applicants, if you don't intend to be here for life, you needn't apply. By allowing employees to have a day off to go to church or an NFL game... Or simply live their lives. Chick-fil-A can create a healthier environment and provide better service to its customers. And they really, they're really getting it, aren't they? Number three, its customers appreciate the mindfulness. While many customers find Chick-fil-A problematic due to Chairman Dan Cathy's stance on same-sex marriage, many others also appreciate that the company gives its workers a break. As, as Truett Cathy once said, we aren't really in the chicken business, we are in the people's business. You know, I hope that, I don't know if this sarcasm was coming through or not. I, it was pretty subtle, but, <laughs> you know, it's funny that the article tries all it can to somehow explain away why it's working so well for Chick-fil-A. See, but we can all sum it up with one simple phrase. Matthew six thirty three. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Listen, the first claim principle is being played out right before our eyes. But listen, it's not just about Chick-fil-A. Because I look at these two young, these graduates right here, and I look at the row behind them, and I look at the row there, and the row there, and the row back there, and I think really... And there's no reason why in 10 or 20 years, we can't look at every one of these lives and have seen the principle played out in their lives. And that if they put God first, we might have, we might have some pretty amazing kids grow up to be some pretty awesome Christian adults. And all it takes, young person, is you deciding. It's not about me, it's about him. I'm not first, he is. It's not about what I want, it's what he wants. I'm not first, God is first. And I want him to have first claim, not because of what he wants from me, but because of what he wants for me. What does he want for me? He wants to take care of every one of my needs in a miraculous way. What does he want for me? He wants to give me a better life than the one I could ever live if I put anything else first. What does he want for me and why should I? Well, because he wanted wanted me enough to create me. And he loved me enough to die for me. And if he'll take my life and if I put him first, he'll benefit me in ways I I never dreamed I could be benefited. This is like the easiest choice you could ever make. And we could go around the room tonight and there are men and women in our church who at one point, maybe about your age, maybe they went through some, struggles and they came to that to this later in life i don't know but i'm telling you every every person sitting here your parents included young people at one point they made a decision you know what for our family god first for our family he has first claim so on sundays it's not even a decision to make we're going and on wednesdays it doesn't matter we're there when it comes to outreach if the church is doing something we're going to be involved and listen, we're, we're going to serve. We're going to put God first with our money, with our time, with our energy. In the mornings, at night, with our TV watching, with what we listen to. Listen, your, your homes are full of people. Your parents, you've got parents. And, and we have homes all in our church full of parents that have put God first and God's blessed them. And parents, I don't know. I, I would say, I, I, if I could raise my hand and say it's worked in my life. And I'm not rich, and I'm not well-known, and I'm not wealthy, and I, I'm not as true as Kathy from Chick-fil-A, but I can tell you this, God has provided every step of the way. He's met our needs. He's met my family's needs. And I'm telling you, the life that we get to live, I wouldn't trade it by saying, well, I, I'll put that first instead. No. Telling you, this is the best decision I ever made. And I'm asking you tonight, does God have first claim in your life? Yeah, he set down the marker and he established the boundary and he started mining to get the most out of your life that he could. And he's doing it for your benefit, but you could jump the claim if you, claim if you wanted. You could be a squatter and you could seize what's rightfully his. You, can, you have a choice to make. And you might even get what you want, but you'll miss out on what God offers. The things that only he can provide. And as you embark on this next phase of your life, especially you two graduates, would you let God have first claim on your time? Would you let him have first claim on your money, what you invest in? Would you let him have first claim on what you love the most? Would you let him have first claim on your relationships? Would you let him have first claim in in your future? And you say, okay, God, I don't know what you want from me, but I'm just telling you, I I say yes to everything. God, if you want my life in full-time ministry, I will do it. If you want me just to be a faithful layperson in the church, I'll do it. Would you give him first claim in your future? Would you give him first claim with your plans, the plans that you've made? Listen, these are sharp kids, both of them. And I think they could go as far as they want to go. But I'm telling you, they won't go nearly as far on their own as they could if they put God first. And I think, what could God do with kids like this? I mean, in God's hands, with him first, what he might do with your life, I'm telling you, it gets exciting. It's hard for me not to get pretty happy about thinking about that. Would you give God first claim in, in your friends? Because I'm telling you, you two especially, but you can look around the room and tell you, there would be all kinds of people tell you that, that the, the day that they chose the wrong friends was really the worst day of their lives when it comes to the trend of their life in that the people you surround yourself with will likely determine where you end up. Would you give God first claim? Instead of pulling his flag out, putting your own, would you give him first claim there? And listen, as you do, you'll discover that putting him first benefits you the most. And you may not get all you want, but you'll get to enjoy all he has to offer, which is better than what you or I could ever come up with on our own. And this is for everybody. Listen, he made you, and he bought you, and he owns you. But he also loves you, and he wants what's best for you. And therefore, he deserves to be first. If you'll give God first claim, you'll give God first claim. Not because of what he can get from you, but because of what he can do for you. I'm telling you, it's the best life. Your parents will tell you that. Adults in this room will tell you that. You give God first claim and you'll find out, well, he can do a lot more for you than you ever dreamed. But, but you have to make this decision to leave his flag planted right where it belongs. And that you're not going to be one of those young people that comes along and uproots the flag and reclaims property that doesn't really belong to you. Would you give young, young people, graduates, young people, would you give him first claim? Would you decide tonight, God comes first? Would you decide tonight that if you're looking at your board of priorities, Jesus Christ is going to be right at the top? Would you decide tonight that where his flag is planted, it remains? And I'm not going to uproot it because his flag here is better than any flag I could put there. Would you decide that tonight? Would you be willing, young person, to just make a commitment to God that you're going to give him first claim? I hope you will. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Young people, would you make a decision for Christ tonight? Would you just decide that God comes first and that your life with his flag planted right there is the best life you can imagine? Listen, just submit to it. Just, just go ahead and do it. And whatever you're holding on to, whatever part of your life that you're holding on to that you're trying to stake a claim in, would you just say, no, God's flag is, right, is better right there. You know, and this is not just for the young people. This is for our church. Listen, every one of us have to come to terms with who's first. And really, every person, grown up, kid, doesn't matter. God deserves first claim. He made you He bought you, and he can do what's best for you, not you on your own. Would you give him first claim? Adults, would you give him first claim? In some area of your life that you've tried to stick a flag in, would you give God first claim? Tonight's the night. Let's do it tonight in Jesus' name. Father, help us. We love you, and and would you help us tonight in your name to make a decision for you? God, I'm not asking for... um, I'm not asking even for like surrendering to something big I'm just asking that you'd give us just give us the courage and the desire to put you first and as we put you first God would you do something great I'm thinking about these young people tonight, just excited about the future I look at the whole group here and I just think well what you could do God would you help each of us to decide the priority is you first would you, would you help the young people to decide tonight to commit that first claim is the most important decision they can make. And Lord, what you might do, boy, I'm excited. I just pray that you'd have your will and way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.